Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. I wanted to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth. We are in a series uh, studying the book of Ruth. And if you don't have a Bible, there's actually Bibles in the pews in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those. It's probably somewhere around page 250 in that Bible, give or take a couple pages. Um, We love to have copies of Scripture in your hands. And so if you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take one. Either there, there's some at the back that you can take on your way out. Um, Being in God's Word is so formative for our spiritual walk. But we're in a series on the book of Ruth. And in the first week, we talked about what it meant to live in the days of the judges. In the times in which uh, people did what was right in their own eyes and there was no king in Israel. Last week, we looked at this idea of famine. Because in the first six verses, we are introduced to um, to an incredible um, successive bit of loss. And we'll look at that as we read, and we'll just kind of recap briefly. But then in the rest of chapter one, where we're going to be today, we look more at the story of a lady named Naomi and a lady named Ruth, and how God is leading one through a process of loss and bitterness, and how he's using another one to bring alongside her to show God's favor in his compassion and his chesed, which is a word that we'll look at this morning, to, um, to this lady named Naomi, who is her mother-in-law. And so I invite you to stand, if you are able, uh, for the reading of God's word this morning. And we're going to read the whole first chapter, so it's absolutely fine if you would like to remain seated for this. But we, we rise in honor of the God who has given his word to us. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 says this, During the time of the judges... There was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to live in the land of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Machlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the land of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, the second was named Ruth. After they lived in the land of Moab for 10 years, both Machlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to leave the land of Moab because she had heard that in Moab that the Lord had paid, she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living accompanied by her two daughters-in-law and she traveled back along the road leading back to the land of Judah. She said to them, each of you go back to your mother's house. May the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord enable each of you to find security or to find rest in the house of your new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. No, they said to her, we will go with you to your people. 
But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return, my daughters, to your home. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, do not plead with me or do not persuade me to leave you or to go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited upon their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has pronounced judgment on me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you have for us today. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to set upon you that we might be the people who not only know your heart but who walk in your ways for the glory of Christ in this broken world, we pray in Jesus' name. You may be seated. So, the whole first chapter of Ruth, it's a beautiful story. And as I mentioned, in the first five verses, we're introduced to incredible tragedy. Just think, it takes five verses for, um, for the writer here to say, during the times of the judges, there's a famine, and we're introduced to this family from Judah, from the tribe of Ephrathites. They're, they're, they're Ephrathites, so they're from the tribe of Judah. They, they live in Bethlehem, and they leave the place that God had called them to be in, and they go somewhere else to find food. And last week, I showed you a photo uh, to kind of orient you as to where they went. So they're up here in this hill country of Judea in Bethlehem, which is just about... 10 or 14 miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, it's up in the hill country, so it takes a little bit of work to get up there. But as they look across, they see over across the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea, and they see this whole area of Moab. Moab is an area. It's a geographical region that has many um, cities in it. And so I showed you an example of what was the capital city. It's called Karak last week in, in our time together. But what I want you to see is that this is a significant distance. All right? They didn't hop in their car, and two hours later they were there. They traveled for several days down the mountain, and whether they went up and over or they went down and over, we do not know. Um, I showed you examples of some photos last week to kind of give you a lay of the land. I'll do that again today. But 
it's a, it's a travel, and they have to take the easiest route down these trade routes in order to get there. So they're invested when they go over here to the land of Moab, and they go because of a famine. And we actually see a couple different times in Scripture where God's people, and I'm thinking of Abraham and Isaac, two of the great patriarchs, where there's a famine in the land of Israel where God had placed them, and they end up going down to Egypt, and as they go down to Egypt, they end up engaging in a whole lot of things that weren't so good for them or for the people around them. Abraham uh, pretends that his wife Sarai is actually his sister, which is kind of not a blatant lie because she was related, but it was several degrees, but um, God had promised, I will give you a people, and here he essentially married his sister off to Pharaoh at one point in time. That didn't turn out so great. God redeemed it in the process, but um, it wasn't maybe the greatest decision. Isaac does the exact same thing, and so here we have another people that God had led into the land he wanted them to be over here, and they end up going over here. Now, there's a famine, most likely, because there is, um, Deuteronomy talks about how when Israel turns away from God, God will use things like famine in order to bring them back to himself, right? And, and, and it's this kind of discipline that God uses to love his people and teach them that they are to depend on him solely, and so we see, even in the story of Ruth, there's some people, and we're given the example of Elimelech's family, and by the way, his name means, my God is king. Eli, it comes from the word El, which is a word for God, and Melech is king, so my God is king. He ends up leaving the land God um, placed him in, and he takes his family with him. They go over to a place, and Moab has kind of a not-so-great reputation within the tribes of Israel because of how they seduced Israel to follow and worship pagan gods. So all that said, we're introduced to a lot of stuff in this first couple verses. Elimelech, my God is king, and his wife Naomi, which means pleasant. Um, they have two sons, Machlon and Kilion. Machlon means sickly. Kilion means weak. Great names for your kids. Um, just kidding. Um, and they experience tragedy because they don't just go over here to get food and then go back home. The text tells us that they stay there and they settle there, and we find out that they're actually there for a period of around 10 years. So they had kind of assimilated into a whole new culture over in the land of Moab. Um, but we meet um, the end of verse 5, and we see Naomi, who is walking through quite a famine. Um, not only does she lose her husband, she loses both of her sons. And for a, a person to have that happen to them in the ancient period was really, really hard. I mean, it's, it's hard in any period, but in the ancient period, it meant that you had no protector. It meant that you had no one to carry on the family line of the name. It, it meant that you were oftentimes destitute unless you were taken in by other people. So here we have a lady with her two daughters-in-law and they're Moabites, so they're from this area. They've intermarried with people from the tribe of, of um, uh, or with, from the tribes of uh, Israel. And what you might think, because of the name Moabite, is, oh, they've turned this family to not worship Yahweh anymore. But we're struck with something in verse six. Um, she's experienced all this loss, and it says she and her daughter-in-law is prepared to leave. They, they, they prepared to, the Hebrew word is shuv, to turn or to return, to, to leave the land of Moab, because the, she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people. 
So here you have a whole bunch of people over in the hill country of Judea crying out for God to meet their need. God hears their cry. He meets their need. She gets wind of this, and she says, I'm going back. And now she's um, got two daughters-in-law. And you see in this whole conversation here that, that her daughter and daughters-in-law are faced with a choice. What do we do? In fact, she gives them a choice. So here they go. Here's, if you were to take the southern route, here are some photos. The land of Moab is in the distance here. This Dead Sea crossing area in the area of Lisan here, you can kind of go back and see where it is on this map right here. It'd be somewhere down in this region where, where if they went the southern route, they would have crossed there. And here's what it looks like. They're coming up this, this plain down the area of Moab. They're coming uh, up from the Dead Sea, the lowest spot in all of the earth. And um, they're coming up into this beautiful area of wilderness uh, with the Dead Sea on your right there, Masada, one of Herod's fortresses. That wasn't there at the time. At least it wasn't carved out as a fortress. Uh, up through Angedi, up through the Judean wilderness. They're coming into the Judean wilderness along a trade route, and they come to the land of Beit Lechem. All right, Beit Lechem, two compound words in Hebrew, which means house of bread, and the great irony is it's been without bread in abundance, at least for several, several years. She comes back to this area. She is um, greeted by the people, and they say, could this be Naomi? But before she gets to that point, she has this amazing conversation with two of her daughters-in-law, and this conversation, um, one of the themes that rolls around with this conversation is the theme of chesed, all right? One of the big words um, that underlines and gives, gives um, pointedness to the story of Ruth is an idea of a Hebrew word called chesed. Say that with me, chesed. Yeah, this is one where you're probably going to spit on your neighbor if you go too exuberantly, right? It's got that chesed in there. But you can just say hesed if you want, and that'd be fine. Um, it looks like this in Hebrew. Uh, it's a word that is very rich. It, it's, it's multivalent. It has a lot of nuances to it. And, and it's often translated faithful love or kindness. Uh, we see this word, for example, in verse 8 of the, the book of Ruth, chapter 1. May the Lord show hesed to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. Faithful love or kindness, but here, it's not just like, oh, they're a kind person. You could define it as the act of divine intervening love. In other words, it's an action to the whole of our lives for the betterment of the recipient. And if you want to look at a text later to get a, a roundedness of chesed, one of the great passages is this Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Because there it describes God as being full of chesed. He says, I, the Lord, I'm gracious and I'm compassionate. I'm slow to anger and I'm abounding in chesed or steadfast love. Now you can go, okay, that, that sounds great, but if you read the chapter or two before that, what you'll find out is Israel has come to the mountain of God and they've received the commandments of God and what they've done is while Moses is getting the commandments up top, um, Israel is down below with Aaron making a golden calf and they're prostituting themselves in worship before another God. Moses comes down and he's like, what are you doing? God just redeemed us and saved us out of slavery in Egypt, and now you have to have a God whom you can see. Aaron's comment in there is funny. He's like, you know, I, I did not, we just put it in, now pops a calf, you know. It's kind of a funny story. You might read it sometime. But what we find out is that God is rich in chesed, because 
his people had already broken the covenant, right? And, and God comes to them, and he could have been like, that's it, I'm done, I'm moving on. But God's chesed shows and demonstrates that he's not a God who, um, who says, you failed, boom, done with you. He's a God who comes back because he has a great love for his people. He has a great love for you today. And, and perhaps maybe not to the golden calf uh, extreme, perhaps, but, but maybe you found yourself walking and you've wandered away from God. Let me tell you, God is a God who is rich in chesed. And he is ready to meet whatever your past is and meet you with his grace today. In fact, grace is one of those words. The fullness of the richness of the word grace is one of those words that could maybe kind of substitute with this idea of chesed because it means that you receive something from God, this steadfast love, this kindness, when you don't deserve it. It's action, not based upon what you've done for me, but based upon unconditional love for someone else. Here's the other way uh, that you could describe it. Dr. Lois Tverberg describes it this way. Chesed also describes unmerited kindness that seeks to actively intervene to help a loved one. It is love in action, not just in our heads. So when you think about the chesed of God, don't just think kindness or steadfast love. Think about a God who goes to the mat for his people. And when we look at how Ruth is described as being one who not only receives chesed, but demonstrates chesed, she's doing so, I think, because she is learning what it means to have an experience with the God of chesed. So we find ourselves walking on the way back to Bethlehem. And in the story here, just follow the narrative. They're getting ready to leave. She, verse 7, she left the place she'd been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, traveled the road leading back to the land of Judah. She says to them, each of, you, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show chesed to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord enable each of you to rest securely or find or find security in the house of your new husband. She kisses them and she weeps, and she wept loudly. So she is saying to her daughters-in-law, and, and she'll go into more detail, I have nothing more I can give you. According to Jewish law, these daughters would be uh, available to have what's called a Leverite marriage, where if one son dies, you can give another son to care for that um, sister-in-law to help provide descendants for his brother through that. But here she is, she's got two daughters-in-law, she's got no sons, which is why she says in verse um, 12, return home, my daughters, shuv, go back to your place, go back to the land of Moab, because they're out on this road already. Um, go on, for I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from, from remarrying? She is saying, I want you to go back to your mother's house. And, and that's an interesting phrase, because oftentimes you would say, go back to your father's house. The father's house is the place of, uh, of protection. When she says mother's house, she's most likely referring to, I want you to go back, because it, it's the mom in the family who teaches a young lady how to act as a wife and how to care for her husband. And she's saying, I want you to go back to your mother's house. I want you to go and remarry. I want you to go find. Um, and the word here in, uh, what verse is it? Verse 9, may the Lord enable each of you to find rest or to find security in your former home. She is entreating them or inviting them to go back to a place where they once were. 
It's interesting because the first time she says that, they say, no, 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 we are going to go with you. And so she goes on and, and she entreats them again. May, may you go and you find, um, here, where is it? Um, yeah, it's, it's in verses 12 and 13. She says, 13, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? If I were to have more sons, would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And in verse 14, there's weeping loudly, there's sorrow, there's sadness. And one of her daughter-in-law's a lady by the name of Orpah, she kisses her mother-in-law, but it says Ruth clung to her. And, and this kind of clinging is not a, um, I'm just going to hold your hand. This is a, I am not going anywhere type of clinging. Like, you cannot tear me away from you. So the first entreaty is, go back. The second entreaty is, go back. My life is too bitter. The third entreaty, Orpah has now left. Ruth is still with her, and she says this. She says, um, again, they wept loudly. Uh, hang on a second. Yep. They wept loudly. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Ruth clung to her. Verse 15. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. So the first go back, the second go back, Orpah goes back, the third go back, and, and she's basically saying, your sister-in-law has gone back, follow her, go back to her people, go back to her God, right? In the ancient period, I've told you this before, in the ancient period, the question was not, um, is there a God? The question was, which God do you serve? The, the, the people of the time, they understood that there was gods, like lowercase g. In fact, there was a god for the rain, there was a god for the sun, there was a god for fertility. There were household gods that many people would take into their homes, and they would be like a, like a patron deity of that area. What Ruth is saying here, because she's, been, she's being invited to go back to her people and to her lowercase g god, Naomi's giving her this out to say, look, you don't have to follow me. My life is going to be hard. My life is going to be bitter. And Ruth is faced with a critical decision here. Will I follow the path of hardship that Naomi is going to walk? And am I going to trust Yahweh in this? Or will I return to what I once knew? Will I return to what is comfortable? Will I return to what I think will meet my needs? Right? She's giving her this acceptance or this ability to accept and to return to her people. There's these three challenges that go here. And what's amazing is that Ruth demonstrates chesed. But God is also demonstrating chesed on behalf of his people. Um, as Ruth is faced with these challenges, one of the ways that is really helpful to think about this invitation is that Ruth is actually being invited not just into come into my family. She's being invited into being a single or, or a, a, um, a widowed Moabite woman who married a Jewish man, and you're coming back to a Jewish community with likely people who go, you went and you married a Moabite? She is potentially walking into a, an area where she might be ostracized or she might be looked down upon. But Ruth is actually invited into something even greater here. Um, several commentators pick up on this, uh, both in the Jewish uh, study Bible and also in several uh, evangelical commentaries. There's a, 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 
a thrice repeated return that Naomi gives. And the reason that these commentators give is because in Judaism, if someone were to come and they were to follow Yahweh, there's a, a reckoning in the sense of you want to count the cost before you jump in. What's happening, I think, in the text here is there is a, there's an invitation to experiencing the rest of God in verse 9. Uh, it says, may the Lord enable each of you to find rest in the house of your new husband. This, this term rest can refer to physical rest or protection. It can also refer to spiritual rest. And in fact, one commentator says that the, the challenge of what's going on in this first challenge from Naomi centers on the term rest, which is employed elsewhere in the Bible to describe spiritual rest or relationship with God that one experiences through faith in the true God. He says, this is Dr. Michael Wexler over at Moody, he says, such rest was therefore hardly to be found in the house of a pagan husband. So they're being presented with, go find rest. Ruth is initially pushed back and said, do you want to follow? And then the second challenge, Naomi says, my life is going to be really hard. Are you sure you want to follow me? Because of the bitter consequences of the decisions and actions of my life. I'm walking back into something. She's saying, do you want to really follow me back to the land of the people of Israel and the God whom they serve? And in this last entreaty, it really comes into full full clarity. Naomi said, verse 15, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. What's happening here, I think, is that Naomi is giving an evangelistic message to Ruth. She's saying, if you're going to come with me, it's not going to be just to come with me. It's going to be an invitation to become one with me and my people. And actually notice what Ruth says in this beautiful thing. She says, don't persuade me to leave you or to go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be your people. Your God will be my God. What Ruth takes upon herself is not just, I'm going to come with you. I'm going to be your tag along. What she actually says, she says, I'm going to take Yahweh as my God. I'm going to leave the former things of my life behind because I am now coming under the mantle and the covering and the protection of Yahweh. And she even makes this oath in Yahweh's name in verse 17. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. This is an evangelistic message. Three times entreating her to say, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to follow Yahweh? Jesus, in Luke 18, was asked by a rich young ruler who comes up to him, and the rich young ruler asks Jesus, what must I do, teacher, to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied with actions based on the Hebrew Bible um, and, and commandments found in, in the Mosaic Law and the Torah. And the ruler said, I have done these things. But Jesus perceived an error in his life that he was holding back from God. Jesus asks him um, about his wealth. And that was unique for him. And, and Jesus says to him, you want to come, you want to follow me? Go take all your possessions. 
this thing that is being an idol, being a lowercase g God in your life, give them to the poor, come and follow me. And the scripture says that the man went away sad because he was very wealthy and he had many possessions. My point is this, that the, the journey of following Jesus is not something any one of us should engage in lightly. I, I mentioned to you earlier, um, we have friends overseas who when they lead someone to faith in Jesus, it's not just a mental ascent, it is with everything they have because the contrast is so different. To leave Islam, to leave Hinduism, to leave animism, to leave paganism, in many of these areas around our world, costs them security, it costs them um, cost them money, it costs them um, their life sometimes. It's not a small thing to give your life to Jesus, which is why he says, count the cost before you follow me. But the amazing thing is, and I've seen this in people whom I've had the privilege of meeting throughout our world, is that when you look at these people who live in really challenging times, there's a joy on their face and a joy that comes from the Lord that can't be replaced by money, that can't be replaced by comfort, that can't be replaced by the things that we value and we hold dear into our life because they're going, it is worth every bit. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow the cross before me, the world behind me. This is the message of saving faith that we are called and invited into by Jesus. It's the message that Ruth is invited into, not only to just uh, experience the chesed of God in her life, but also then to be a bearer of chesed, which we'll look at more in chapter two, because Ruth, this Moabitess, this, this woman who is not from the tribes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, actually ends up becoming someone through whom God expresses his faithful love in a way um, that honors God to the extent that even the townspeople in Bethlehem will look at her and they will see she is a godly woman. So, we have them continuing this journey, coming back to the ancient city of Bethlehem. Naomi, Naomi is understandably wrestling with the loss that she has experienced in her life. She's learning, I think, day by day, moment by moment, what it means to trust God with her bitterness, to trust God with her loss, to trust God with her grief. Um, she says here to the people of Bethlehem, she says, don't call me Naomi, don't call me pleasant, which is what my name means in Hebrew. She says in verse 20, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has pronounced judgment upon me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? She comes back after 10 years in the land of Moab with one person by her side. But the amazing thing is, as she's coming back and she's wrestling through these emotions of bitterness and loss and grief, and by the way, um, God can handle those emotions. If you're experiencing bitterness and loss and grief in your life today, re reach out to God. Um, I, I have a friend many, many years ago who lost his spouse, and uh, I was meeting with him for a series of time. We were just encouraging one another, and he said, you know, Jeremy, 
every night, every morning, sometimes in the middle of the night, I just reach my hand up while I'm lying in bed and I remember and I proclaim over my situation that my God has not forgotten me, that my Papa is there, my Abba is there, and that he loves me, and that even if I'm here by myself, God's grace is sufficient. This is the process that Naomi's going to be going through. But what's amazing is we catch all these names and meanings, and the reason we kind of highlight that is because Naomi actually does it. She says, don't call me Naomi, pleasant, call me Mara, which means bitter. But she's, her companion for the journey is a person by the name of Ruth. Ruth, and it means friend, it means refreshment, and it means satiation. Um, Ruth is an amazing person who befits this name because in the middle of someone's brokenness, God is going to use her to be an encouragement, to be a rock, to be someone whom she can walk alongside her mother-in-law and say, you know what, we are in this together. And we're actually going to look at things in her life where she is going to work hard on behalf of her mother-in-law. She's going to be compared to a Proverbs 31 woman, a woman of noble character. And it's going to be through her demonstration of chesed that Ruth will demonstrate to Naomi, God has not forgotten you. You are not alone. Let me refresh you in your life today. Now, two things had to happen for this to, to to, to go forth. Number one, Ruth had to say, Yahweh, I'm ready to follow you, and I am all in no matter what it means. The second is, Naomi has to say, I will let you come with me. It says uh, here, how is it phrased? Um, it says here in verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. Some of your translations might say she stopped talking. And that wasn't a stop talking about like life and stuff. But Naomi said, all right, you're, you are along for this journey. I don't know if she said thank you. I don't know if they walked in silence. What I do know is that Naomi was not alone. She had Yahweh and she had Yahweh's provision of a friend, refreshment, and satiation. The amazing thing is no matter what you, are, you and I are walking through today, whether it's the bitterness that comes through loss, maybe it's the question mark of our future, maybe it's, um, maybe it's just the joys of life. You don't walk alone. And even if you think, my, my family doesn't f walk with me, my friends don't walk with me, the psalmist frequently reminds us that God is always there. In, in fact, God is the perfect um, demonstrator of chesed, one who comes to walk beside us. And as we get ready to uh, celebrate communion together, I want to remind you of what Jesus has done to walk with you by faith. It says in Romans chapter 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That is chesed, my friends. It's something that we don't deserve, but it's something that God graciously did for us. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love or demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As we celebrate communion this morning, we celebrate communion saying, Lord, we do not walk this path alone. 
You are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Your, your presence, God, through the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age is a promise that some of us need to remind ourselves of. It's a truth that we need to say, you know, in this world you may have trouble, as Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And he walks with you in whatever you face. And he is there to be your strength, to be your source of life, to be your source of power as he has been for his people throughout the generations. Even when they didn't deserve it, even when we didn't deserve it, even when they felt like God was not there, God was always there. Maybe you need to be reminded of that in your life tonight, today. I want to invite our worship team to come forward right now. We're going to celebrate communion together. And um, there are stations. There's two up here. There's two in the back. Um, I'm sorry for the little bit that was kind of spilled in the tray over there. That was me. I almost, I almost lost the entire thing this morning when it hit my shoe on the cart. So apologies for that. <laughs> we didn't, though. It was good. It was good. Um, we have different stations here for you to go to when you are ready. As the worship team leads us through a song, our communion elements are double cupped. The bottom cup is bread. The top cup is juice. Take them back to your seats. You can grab a couple for the people around you uh, who are celebrating with you. This is something for the believer to celebrate. If you're not a believer here today, I would implore you, like um, Naomi implores Ruth, come, follow Yahweh. It's worth every bit. Count that cost, though. Know for sure this is the decision I am making today. But here's the great promise of the gospel. When we were lost, God made a way. When we were far from him, God sent Jesus, his son, to be our sin offering so that we could be made right with him and experience the fullness of life, the fullness of rest, the fullness of everything that God intends for you and I to experience. This is for us to celebrate together as a church. Um, and as we sing, as you are ready, please feel free to come and receive the elements. Take them back to your seat. We will take them together. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.